All right. Good evening, everybody. Um, would I be able to get some stage lights, please? <laughs> I mean, we can do this. It, it's appropriately eerie. Anyway, uh, I, I don't know what you can see of me, but my name's Pete Fernbaugh. I'm the artistic director of the Ohio Valley Cloak and Dagger Company. Um, and our partners are Striplight Theater here at the Ashley Marie Theater. And uh, we're so thankful that they have given us the opportunity to perform this ongoing theatrical series of, uh, of um, oh, no, that we've been calling Cloak and Dagger on the Air. And each month, we've been doing this since September, and each month we've had a different theme. And this month's is Ladies' Night. Uh, uh, our theme, of course, centering around uh, women of empowerment or women who at least are in the lead in each of these stories and, and even our, our live commercial skits. So what we do each month is we recreate an old and classic radio script uh, from when radio was the primary entertainment in the country. Um, the myth is that radio went away, it actually, radio drama went away, it actually never has. Uh, NPR and a few oh. random, there we go. <laughs> I was going to vamp. Turn the lights back I was prepared to vamp. You're going to get a whole history of the golden age of radio and how it's still alive today and all that great stuff. Anyway, what we like to do, though, is we like to show how it could be done, uh, both in a retro and almost a contemporary way. So I hope you enjoy it. What you have up here is our actors. They have their scripts. We have our sound man. We have our live sound effects table. We also do some pre-recorded sounds, some things you just can't recreate live, at least not easily. Uh, it's kind of hard to get a whole car engine up on stage. And, uh, and then we have our live accompanists over here. Do you have enough light? No. <laughs> we can... At least you have that one on the end. Yeah, here. Go ahead and pass it now. Yeah, that'll be fine. So anyway, uh, we thank you for coming out tonight. I just want to acknowledge our sponsors, Corporate Cleaning Group, and the Weirton Christian Center. They'll be featured later on in our two commercial skits, and then also uh, you'll see our community guest star, Diane Magnone. She'll be up here in the second half. We're so glad that she's here tonight. She also owns Corporate Cleaning Group, and she's, um, uh, she's running for, what, what position are you running for, Diane? It is, Thank you, House of Delegates. So she, uh, she also uh, sponsored our ad for the Weirton Christian Center, the director of whom is also here, Kim Weaver. So we're glad to have uh, our supporters here tonight. We're going to be doing two dramas for you, the uh, St. James Infirmary Blues and another drama called The Sisters. Um, I, I, hope you, uh, I hope you really enjoy it, and if you like it, I hope you spread the word. We'll be on again in two weeks on uh, February 10th with uh, a, a, a series of shows we're calling Winter Tales. So thank you so much for coming out, and I hope you enjoy the production. Sponsored by Corporate Cleaning Group and the Weirton Christian Center, 
the Ohio Valley Cloak and Dagger Company, in partnership with Striplight Theater, presents Cloak and Dagger on the Air, Ladies' Night. This evening, two carefully crafted tales well calculated to thrill and chill you to the bone. First up, meet Sheila, a beautiful girl from a beautiful family, decked out with all the trimmings of wealth and luxury. But Sheila has grown tired of the beautiful life. It's dull, and all she wants is a little excitement. Starring Carissa Martin, Dave Zaneski, and Rob DeSantis, here now is Morton Fine and David Friedkin's 1953 radio play about the Roaring Twenties and the violent people who lived them. As with song and story, we tell you, St. James Infirmary Blues. over there? Brock. Brock Martin. And all those guys around him? Mm-hmm. Every one of them gangsters. I told you, didn't I? I told you I'd take you to the fanciest speakeasy in New York. That's Brock. He owns this whole end of town. You, you see the way they let me in, Sheila, right? It was very impressive, Freddie dear. And, and how do you like the liquor here, huh? Right from Canada. Now, one thing about Brock... Freddie. Yeah, honey. Who's he? Huh? The boy with the black hair. Oh. He's he's Brock's trigger. What does that mean, honey? <laughs> oh, baby, baby. Trigger. Trigger means you want somebody out of the way. Shot. And the boy with the black hair does it. Well, that that's what the papers say. That's Nick Vompy. You know him? Oh, well, you, you, you point these guys out. You don't really know them. Hey, 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 where you going? Hey, yeah, that's what he said. Three to two on Dempsey tomorrow in Philly, Brock. Hey, man, don't you think we ought to take off? Yeah, whatever you say, Nicky. Yeah, whatever Nicky says. <laughs> oh, this, uh, this yours, Nicky? Nicky hasn't started to find out yet. Who are you, baby? Sheila. This is Sheila, Brock. Go on. Tell him, baby. It's a dull place. I don't like dolls. <laughs> you see, Brock? Oh, sit down, Sheila. I got a table. I know. I saw. I know. You stared, Nikki. But I was too far away. You really couldn't tell. Uh, Freddy. Uh, hello, Mr. Vompy. You're... Whom? Oh, oh ju just a customer. I just brought Sheila here. Uh, Sheila? It was lovely, Freddy. Yeah, I, I, I guess we'd better go now. Goodbye, Freddy. Hey, I can't leave you here with these... Uh, uh, Sheila? Valentino's playing down the street, Freddy. Go see him. Yeah, do that. But, but... Do it, Freddy. 
mind, Nick. The doll went away, didn't it? <laughs> Keep it like that. <laughs> sure. I'd roam the wide world over, but none so sweet, so fair as my loving baby Nikki, like red rockets in the air. You having fun, Sheila? Love it. How fast are we going? Hey, how fast are we going, Cleo? Next corner, Cleo. Oh, I know where to stop, Nikki. Don't worry. <laughs> you know, you're all right, baby. You think so? Yeah. Yeah, I do. You're not going to get hurt, are you? <laughs> nah. Never. Hey, be back in a minute. Cleo? Yes, ma'am. <clears throat> How long have you been with Nikki? Driving him? Oh, a long time. He's nice, isn't he? No, well, he's collecting, not married. But exciting. You <laughs> ought to go home. Exciting. This week, a whole week of Nikki. You don't... All right, let's get going, Cleo. Any trouble, boss? <laughs> nah, just pie. Little guy in that store even thanked me for the protection we gave him. Nikki? What, baby? Nothing. Just Nikki. Yeah, Nikki. <laughs> You're not smiling, Nikki. Trouble? Uh, not much. Cleo. Yeah, 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 I know. Take it slow. Get down in the car, baby. Nikki? Get down in the car, baby. I told you. All right, beat it. Sheila, honey. What? You know why that happened? You know why that man's store just blew up in his face? Sheila, when I tell you to do something, you'll do it. Huh? You, Nick? While I was mixing this drink, I was thinking, wouldn't Shut it? up. All right, here. Take my drink. Lousy booze. What? What's the matter, Nick? Look, anybody asks you, I've been here for the last five hours. Sure, but... What but... happens if anyone asks you? You were here. Five hours, Nick. Right. Now you tell me. Listen to me. A guy got killed. Who? What difference does it make? He was hauling a load of booze from Montreal, and they didn't make it. He got hijacked. He didn't do what he was told to do, so he's dead. You killed him, Nikki? How could I kill him? I've been here for the last five hours. That's right, Nick. It was Brock's booze. It was Brock's boy who got killed. Brock will kill you for it. You shouldn't Listen have... to me. Don't you know what I'm telling you? Nick! You're hurting Brock's gonna me. kill nobody, you understand? Nick! Huh? Now, do ya? 
Well, answer it, baby. Hello? Nikki, there. Who's this? Brock. He's here, Brock. You want to talk to him? How long's he been there? Five hours. Uh, listen, Miss Sheila. You tell him something for me. Tell him McCready never got in with his truck because he got killed. You tell Nick that the McCready's going to have a funeral tomorrow. Tell him to be there. I'll tell him. Nick? You did good. I, I, I'm scared. Touch this to your baby. It scares away the scare. 50,000 times, one for each dollar. All that money? All that happy time, baby. Put it away for a rainy day for us. You like Cuba, baby? Right now, I like it right here. Nick, Cuba's later. So we went down to the funeral. to you. That means he wants you. In here, Sheila. I want to talk to you. Sit down. You want a drink? No. You uh, want Nicky? What did you do to him? Nothing's going to happen to him that you won't know about. He was with me. He didn't kill McCready. I swear he was with me, Brock. You're a pretty girl, Sheila. You got a nice face. Take care of yourself. Mostly, don't lie. Don't kill him, Brock. He was the only one that knew about that load of booze from Montreal. I got a call from Patterson, New Jersey, a guy who runs things over there. He laughed in my face. He said my boy Nick just sold him a load of my whiskey. You want to see Nick? Sure you do. Charlie, bring him in. Inside, big shot. Nikki! Hiya, Sheila. It's all right, baby. It doesn't hurt. Sure it don't, Nick. Nothing's gonna hurt no more. Take him, Charlie. Let's go, big shot. Your ride's what we got for you. Uh, you too, Sheila. Come on. Okay, Cleo. Yes, sir. Out, Nick. Baby, 
Come on, come on. She won't let him go, boss. Make her. Yeah. Yeah, she let go. Come on, Nick. Uh, Bye, baby. Come on, come on, come on. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nick! You better believe it, Sheila. It just happened to him. You being a good girl, Sheila. I like that. Just uh, try to smile when we get inside the club. Open it, Lefty. Smile, Sheila. Just like you came from a party with laughs. Yeah, some other time. Uh, my, my office, Sheila. Inside. Here, I'll take your coat. Brock. Sit down, Sheila. Drink it. Nick used to tell me to do things and I did them. He's dead now. You're not. Thank me, Sheila. You're fat. Nick was a good boy. When he met you, something happened to him. He crossed me. Now he's dead. You see what I can do, Sheila? You're fat and you're old. I've seen them like you. Beautiful. Oh, culture's the word, isn't it? Yeah, good family, money, everything. But really, nothing at all. Excitement's what you need, isn't it? What do I do to you, Brock? I don't know. But I do it, don't I? Yeah. Make me another drink, Brock. Sheila, I... Uh... Make me another drink. All right, Sheila. Here. Drink it, baby. And we'll make it the start of a... <coughs> Wipe the gin off your double chin, Brock. Enjoy it? Mm-hmm. All right. Let me tell you. Let me make my mind up about something. Whether we should ride back to where Nikki got his and throw you away. You think uh, that would be exciting, Sheila? Do it right here. You got the gun. You want to kiss me? Go ahead. You taste of gin. I gotta stay alive now, huh, Brock? Bye. Who is it? 
Wait, I'll, I'll flip something on. Nikki. Let me in. Sure. Sure, Nikki. Uh, over here. No, Lie down. No, no. No, listen. Listen. We gotta get him. We gotta get Brock. You're hurt. You're hurt so terribly. Brock! Bring him to me. You need a doctor, Nikki. I'll get you a doctor. I don't want one. I want Brock. Get him for me. Listen, listen. I'm dying, Sheila. And I want Brock before I die. You gotta do it for me. I can do it for you, Nikki. And a gun. Yes. Go to Cleo. She'll give you a gun. Yeah. yeah. Lie down, Nick. Here. Uh, put your arm around me. We'll do it. We'll do it, won't we? We'll kill Brock. We'll kill him. Ah, uh, Miss Sheila. Hello, Cleo. May I come in? I don't know. Sure you do. What do you want? I want a gun, Cleo. Oh, I, I can't do that, Miss Sheila. Why not? Oh, Brooke did not tell me to give you a gun. It doesn't matter. Oh, you're wrong. You're wrong, Miss Sheila. That, that's what matters the most. You see, if, if Brooke called me and said, you, you give, to give you a gun, it would be all right. I'll call him. All right. You want to know what I'm going to tell him? Yeah, yeah, I know. About the gun. I listen. No. No, Cleo. I'm going to tell him about you. <laughs> about me? Yes. About how you were waiting for me when I left his place. How you wanted to talk about the plan. How you told me you and Nikki were in cahoots. How you were still angling to take over Brock's turf. How you wanted to cut me in on the deal. Two women going after the great white whale known as Brock Garby. And how I'm here now. And I got you cornered. Please, please, M Miss Sheila, put the phone down now. All right. What about the gun? Uh, I will get it. Here. Thanks, Cleo. Miss Sheila? Yeah? What do you want it for? Let me ask you something, Cleo. Did you like Nicky? Yeah, I liked him all right. He's alive. Oh, you got to be kidding. Brooke got rid of... Nicky's alive, Cleo. He liked you. I thought you'd want to know. Cleo, don't. Hand over seven, nine, seven, one, five. Cleo? Uh, oh, I, I, I got to. Miss Sheila Brock is my boss. I would never betray him. Oh, he got to know. Cleo, don't. No, you got to understand, Miss Sheila. No. no. It's Sheila. She... Oh. Hello, Sheila. I'm lonely, Brock. <laughs> Dull again, huh? Dull. I can fix it, baby. It'll take you about an hour to get to my place, won't it, Brock? That's how long I can stand it without you. 
Just settle down. I'll be there. See ya. Sheila. It's me, honey. How do you feel? It's better now. You're here. I got the gun, Nick. Give it to me. Three bullets missing, Sheila. I know. Then fired. No long ago, either. I know. What happened? I told Cleo you were alive. She was going to call Brock. So you shot her. Let me hold you, Nick. <laughs> yeah, baby. Yeah. Nikki? What, baby? It was easy. Is Brock coming? He'll be here in about a half hour. Hold me, baby. No tears, no blues. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it hurts me to laugh, Sheila. But it's funny. Oh, <laughs> listen to him. You want me to do it for you, Nick? Shoot him. I'll do it. Just show him in the living room, baby. Then I'll make an entrance. You snapped your fingers and I came running, Sheila. I'll snap him again, Brock. What are you going to do now? You tell me. <laughs> no, I mean it. I'll think of something. Take off your coat. We'll have some music. Sure. Nice place you got here. Nick liked it. Uh, tough about him. Hey, dance with me, honey. You uh, want to dance with me? You dance. Whether or not you put your hands on her. I couldn't stand that. Nick! All I did was say goodbye to everybody. What are you going to do, Brock? No, 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 don't, don't do it, Nick. He's gonna. No. No, no, please, the Nick, listen. It ain't, it ain't like we thought. Any pretty words before you no. die, Brock? I'm telling you, Nick. Now it's over, baby. Now we'll get a doctor. No, no. It's too late, baby. But it was fun. Wasn't it fun, Sheila? Nick, don't die. Baby. Baby, please. Nick. Nick! <sighs> Receipt, officer. Received by St. James Infirmary. One body, dead on arrival, Brock Garby. Also received, one Nick Volpe, died five minutes after arrival. Right. Now, what's she doing in there? The girl? <laughs> oh, just standing there by his table, staring at him. Get her. Okay. Hey, miss. Policeman says he wants you. Says you gotta go with him now. Well, here she is, officer. You see what you wanted to see, miss? I saw. I saw my Nikki, all stretched out on the table. So sweet. So cold. So fair. Let him go. Let him go. And bless him. 
closes Cloak and Dagger on the Air's presentation of St. James Infirmary Blues, starring Carissa Martin as Sheila, Dave Zaneski as Nick, Rob DeSantis as Brock, Nancy Longo as Cleo and the Coroner, Chris Carter as Freddie and the Officer, Gretchen Carter and Bethany Fernball as the Barflies, and Pete Fernball as Charlie. St. James Infirmary Blues was written by Morton Fine and David Friedkin and adapted for Cloak and Dagger on the Air by Pete Fernbaugh. Shane Meredith managed our sound, and Lakin Weaver provided the score. And now, this. The name's Daphne. Daphne Doolittle. The dame with the private eye. It was dawn in the city that always sleeps. And I had just tied a big blood-stained ribbon on my latest caper, cleverly dubbed The Case of the Pernicious Papa Peacock. It had been a long night filled with shootouts, meandering monologues for my nefarious nemesis. Papa Peacock, playboy of perversion, careful with fear, my dear Mr. Little, as the blazing beams of my twinkling tail feathers burn you alive. <laughs> Papa's burgeoning battalion of screeching peacocks. Car chases. The NBC logo echoing in my cranial lobes every time the peacocks screeched. Katy Perry ringing in my ears every time I turn on the radio. Papa Peacock's ninja sidekick, the aging yet agile ex-porn star, Stormy Daniels, trying to shred me alive with her whips and chains. And of course, a quick midnight stop at Eaton Park. I'm sorry, uh, the late night buffet won't be op from open for another hour. But it says right here on the menu it is to be opened now. Peacock's right, toots. You're welching on your word. Where's the buffet? Uh, the fluorescent light bulbs over the buffet burned out. Uh, we have to replace them. A likely excuse. Bask in the blazing beams of my twinkling tail feathers. Look, toots. I know you got it rough here. And believe me, I'm all in with the fight for 15. But where's our buffet? The chef, the chef, he absconded with the mini muffins. Every last one. We can't go live without the mini muffins. She's right. This is a crummy crisis. Uh, would you like some fried zucchini instead? A rough night indeed. But as dawn dawned, Papa Peacock and his aging yet agile ex-porn star ninja sidekick, Stormy Daniels, were once again secreted away within the bowels of the state pen. I shall return, Doolittle, and the beams of my twinkling confessors will blaze ever brighter. And the mini muffins were gingerly dispatched back to their rightful hot plate on the Eaton Park buffet. Oh, Miss Doolittle, you even changed the fluorescent bulbs for us. Here's some more fried zucchini as a token of our thanks. Uh, don't forget my tip. And I returned to my office on the third floor of the old building over there, intent on taking a long winter's nap and pondering a much-needed vacation, when I was immediately driven back into dusk's diminutive shadows by... 
a strange smell. A smell that faintly resembled cleanliness. I cautiously moved down the hallway toward my office door and tried to open it. But it wouldn't budge. Then I heard a voice. Uh, sorry, Chief. Let me get out of the way here. <laughs> it was my assistant, Stinky Pink. Uh, sorry about that, Chief. I was on the floor. What were you doing on the floor, Stinky? I was eating my breakfast on it. You were eating your breakfast on the floor? Yeah. Look at it. It's so... <gasps> clean! Uh, yeah. It's so clean I could eat off it. I've always wanted to do that. Yeah, but... But this is my office. How did it get so clean? Beats me, Chief. But look around. It's the whole office. Stinky was right. It was the whole office. From floor to ceiling, cleanliness reigned. Even the wobbly ceiling fan, which usually dispersed more grime than air, was wobbling a little lighter this morning. And as I walked around the office, I discovered my papers were in order, the trash can was emptied, and the porta john next to the filing cabinet was standing upright. <gasps> so what is it, Chief? Have the windows always been that clear? Ever since they was clean, Chief. <laughs> and all these years, I thought they were tinted. Stinky, do you know what this... Uh, Chief, why are you smelling me? Lift up your arms, Stinky. Uh, okay. Yes. Even your pits smell like a warm apple pie on an autumn afternoon. I thought I felt like a new man-child this morning. Do you know what this means, Stinky? Uh, I need a new name? Well, that. And this is a mystery. It is? Well, think about it, not so stinky. You are clean. This office is clean. Has, has any of this ever been clean before? Uh, no, never. Even my pet pig, Oink, needed to shower when he left here. Exactly. So, not so stinky. Who or what has cleaned this office? And is this serial sanitizer still at large, cleaning other offices? No, oh, that's what I was supposed to give you, Chief. This. This? That. It's an address for a Reverend Dippy Smalls. What does Reverend Dippy want, other than an inexplicable cameo? He's got the same problem as you, Chief. It's his church. When he arrived this morning, it was different from the church he left last night. It was clean, pure, holy. Even the gold plating on the collection plates was shiny. Well, not so stinky. Perhaps I should pay a visit to this Reverend Dippy Smalls. And pay a visit I did. Reverend Dippy was the senior pastor at the thoroughly modern church of the hip and sacred stage lights, where every week's service was a big budget show for the Savior. The good Reverend Dippy greeted me in his usual attire of a clerical collar, a black shirt, and skinny jeans, with bright red light-up Nike sneakers that played holy, holy, holy every time he took a step. Not bad for a late blooming hipster pushing 70. Oh, it was the strangest thing, Detective. Our stadium seating was spotless. Our holy grounds coffee shop was pristine, and our divinely inspired bookstore was dusted, and our green room was actually green, hoo-hoo. And, and there wasn't a single donut crumb into the carpet, and even our sinners 
were washed in the blood and soapy water. Do you have any idea, Reverend Dippy, who could have committed this accentuated act of corporal cleanliness? Oh, well, uh, no, no. Reverend Dippy can't say, but around town there has been stories. Stories? Yep. Seems as if uh, other folks are discovering their schools, their, their, their offices, their, their hospitals are transformed overnight. Whoever is doing it is never seen and never disrupts the daily routine. It's like a miracle with a mop. And have these folks been approached by anybody in the days leading up to this speckless showering of suds? Well, uh, funny you should mention that. Uh, seems we were all approached by this woman a few weeks back. A woman? And what did this woman say? Well, she told us all the same thing. Her company would transform the way we looked. Interesting. Can you, um, think of her name? Oh, uh, her name? Well, no, no. <laughs> See, Reverend Dipp is no good with names. Reverend Dipp just calls everyone brother and sister and hopes for the best. Now you listen to me, Reverend Dippy. <laughs> Hey, 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 you're, you're hurting Reverend Dippy. I'm running out of time, see? The serial sanitization is surreptitiously sweeping the somber oh. streets of our sluggish suburbs. Oh. I need to know who's doing it. Now, what is this woman's oh, name? Oh, Reverend Dippy, don't know. Think! Martha! Martha? That, that's impossible. That's my mother's name. Hey, Reverend Dippy's too. Uh, well, don't think we're friends oh. now, pal. What is this serial sanitizer's name? Uh, it's, uh, it's Diane. Diane, it's and uh, her it's last Diane. name? Uh, oh, oh, uh, Reverend Dippy don't remember. Is it John? No. Jacob? No. Jingleheimer? No. Shit! No. Well, that was my last <sighs> guess. Uh, you better think fast or you'll be collecting 10% at the pearly gates before oh. you can count your parishioners two by two. Magnone! Yes, yes. Diane Magnone. She's the one. She's the one. Where I, can I find uh, her? Uh, Oh, Reverend Dippy don't know, but, oh, but no, no. Reverend Dippy hears that she has two offices. Her first office serves the upper Ohio Valley area, so the West Virginia Northern Panhandle, uh, Eastern Ohio, that is, and, and her second office services the Akron, Canton, Youngstown, and, and Cleveland area, see? That doesn't help me. Oh, Eagle Manufacturing in Wellsburg. Yeah, Reverend Dippy hears they're one of her clients. You might find her there. Eagle Manufacturing, eh? You better not be lying to me. Oh, Reverend Dippers swears on a stack of tithes and offerings. Reverend Dippers not. Oh. Oh. Weirdest Dippy cameo ever. Oh. I left Reverend Dippy wallowing in his sermon notes and dashed down to Eagle Manufacturing. And as I pulled into the alley behind the main building, I could clearly see the shadow of my cereal sanitizer through the windows. She really knew how to make them spotless. Drawing upon many years of training and experience in the art of stealthily tiptoeing through the tulips, I slowly jiggled the door open and... Uh, oops! What's that? And there she was, encompassed by a halo of Mr. Clean. Diane Magnone, the cereal sanitizer. Who's there? Drop it, sister. Excuse me? The mop. Drop the miracle mop. Drop the... What is this? Name's Doolittle. Detective Doolittle. <laughs> that ought to take care of that. What are you 
you want with me? I've been tracking you and your people all over the panhandle, Magnone. Tracking us? But, but, but why? We're just... I know. I know what your gig is, Magnone. I know what you're up to. What I'm up to? What are you talking about? You've been cleaning up a lot lately, haven't you, Magnone? Well, we are a cleaning company whose business was built from scratch in 2013. Don't get smart with me, sister. I want to know how you've been doing it. How I've been doing it? Yeah. How do you get your buildings to look so spotless? How do you get them smelling like a meadow instead of mothballs? How do you get stinky to be not so stinky? Oh, well, the last one was an accident. We thought he was a statue in your office, and we polished him. I mean, he just stood there with a blank look on his face. <laughs> He's been learning to think. Well, it won't happen again. No, it better happen every time. I hate wearing clothespins on my nose day in and day out. Oh, you got it. But that doesn't explain how everything else is so clean. Well, now that's part of our promise at Corporate Cleaning Group. You see, back in 2013, we saw a market need for hospital-grade cleaning in office buildings to reduce sick time and in satellite medical facilities for patient and staff protection. And over the years, Corporate Cleaning Group has mastered the art of efficiency while providing solutions to the challenges that you face in your facility. Like stinky? Like stinky. In fact, we learn the flow of your facility and systematically perform the quality work we promised you. Using cutting-edge cleaning technologies and our proven track record, we promote the health, happiness, and productivity of your building's occupants through customizable janitorial solutions. And best of all, you won't even know we've been there since we clean around your schedule and your flow of business. <laughs> well, no wonder it took me by surprise this morning. My office was transformed overnight, just like Reverend Dippy, just like everyone else in the area. It wasn't a miracle mop, it was you. Yes, our team is committed to a clinically clean approach that provides the most effective clean possible, while our quality control systems work to guarantee your satisfaction. Really, detective. Doolittle, you didn't have to go to all this hassle. <laughs> well, you could have just called me. How would I have done that? Well, I gave you our number when you hired Corporate Cleaning Group to clean your office. You gave me? I hired? Yes, Detective. Oh. 740-278-7238. Or... You could have visited us on our website at corporatecleaninggroup.com. Well, there you have it. I, the ever-deductive Detective Doolittle, was the culprit of my own surprise. Huh. Maybe I do need a vacation. But in spite of my foggy fumble, I had managed to crack this confounding conundrum. With my victory in tow, I returned back to my spotless office and joined Not-So-Stinky Bink on the floor for yet another scrumptious breakfast of eggs and pancakes. Oops, I spilled maple syrup on the linoleum, Miss Doolittle. Not a problem, Stinky. I know just the person to call. 
740-278-7238. Hello, Magnone. And with that, I tied a neat and tidy Febreze-scented bow on the case of the cereal sanitizer. Yet another wily whodunit, demystified and deriddled by yours truly, Daphne Doolittle, the dame with the private eye. Our thanks to Corporate Cleaning Group for sponsoring Cloak and Dagger on the Air Ladies' Night. Our cast included Bethany Fernball as Daphne Doolittle, Chris Carter as Papa Peacock, the Playboy of Perversion, and as Stinky Pink, Gretchen Carter as the Eaton Park Server, Carissa Martin and Gretchen Carter as the Peacocks, and uh, Dave Zaneski as Reverend Dippy Smalls, with Nancy Longo playing Diane Magnone. We pause now for a 10-minute intermission. When we return, our second tale of the evening, The Sisters. We continue with the second half of Cloak and Dagger on the Air, Ladies' Night, sponsored by Corporate Cleaning Group and the Weirton Christian Center, and presented by the Ohio Valley Cloak and Dagger Company in partnership with Striplight Theater. one that I think would be very lovely. There's a far superior lining, pure silk, a much heavier than the others we've looked at. Uh, do you care for this one, Miss Haskell? Yes, it's very nice, but I believe I'd like to see something perhaps even a little better. Oh, of course. If you just step over this way, Miss Haskell. Now, here is an exquisite casket something that really does honor to the departed. Yes, it's beautiful. Now, the interior is just the same as the last, but the casket itself is of bronze, solid bronze. Won't that be rather heavy? Yes, but not too heavy. Will there be six pallbearers? I don't know. Well, it doesn't matter. Four men can carry this very easily. Very. Miss Haskell, I want you to notice the floral design here. All hand-wrought, every bit of it. Oh, yes, notice the seams in this casket, airtight and watertight, guaranteed. You know, of course, how important that is. Yes. Yes, but this casket, in a hundred years, or even two hundred years, will be just as strong and look just as beautiful as it does on this stand today. Uh, you couldn't buy a finer piece of workmanship. Well, how much would this one be, please? This casket? A Duravo, by the way. Duravo for durability, as we say in the trade. This casket is priced at, uh, let's see, $775. <clears throat> we can't bring back the departed. No, our only solace is the knowledge that we have done them the last possible honor. Very well, I'll take this one. Oh, I'm sure you're making a very wise choice. In all my years as a mortician, 
I have never encountered a family who has regretted money spent on a Duravo. <laughs> yes. Now, uh, let me see. I'll write you a check. Oh, no, that won't be necessary. Not immediately. After the funeral will do. Uh, oh, uh, by the way, we haven't mentioned it. Uh, are we handling the funeral arrangements? I don't know yet. Oh, well, uh, you'll, you'll want the casket uh, delivered elsewhere? No, I, I'd like you to hold it for a while, please. Hold it? Uh, but for how long? Three weeks. Uh, three weeks? Uh, I don't understand. Who is the party, uh, the deceased? Who is this casket for? It, it, it's for me. Lydia? Lydia, I thought I heard you come in. Where have you been, Lydia? You've been gone all afternoon. I've been shopping. What did you buy? Did you get the ribbons I asked for? No, I didn't have time. Oh, I wanted some new ribbons. These ones are all worn out. See, Lydia? Ellie, I wish you would stop putting ribbons in your hair like a schoolgirl. You're almost 40 years old. I know, Lydia, I know. Well then, try to act like it. Hand me my sewing. And, and light the lamp. It, it's getting dark. I wonder why we have to grow old. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could stay young like we used to be? <laughs> Lydia, do you remember when Mother used to send us to school with our ribbons matching and our dresses matching, and at the end of the day, no one would even guess that we were sisters because I was always so must and you were always so clean? <laughs> I wish we were young again, Lydia. Oh, stop talking nonsense, Ellie. It is nonsense, isn't it? Oh, the doorbell rang while you were out, right before you came home. You didn't answer it, did you? Oh, no, you, you told me to never answer it. I just peeked out the window upstairs. Did you see who it was? Yes, it was a man, a rather big man. He rang a long time and then he went away. He, he didn't see you, did he? Oh, no, I just peeked ever so carefully from behind the curtain. And then I came down here and watched him going down the walk. You came downstairs? Yes, I... I've told you never to come down those stairs when I am not in this house. It was all right, Lydia. I, I hung on very tightly to the banisters all the way, and I didn't once look down the stairwell so I didn't get dizzy, and I didn't want to jump. Well, don't do it again. It was just that I was lonely. I didn't think you were ever coming home. Lydia, you didn't tell me what you bought. Hmm. Oh... A Duravo. What's that? What's a Duravo? Don't ask so many questions, Ellie. All right. Lydia, I think I'll sew, too. I can fix up one of these old ribbons. May I, Lydia? Yes. Yeah, yes, so. It'll, it'll be good for you. Thank you. <laughs> Lydia? Yes? Lydia, could I go shopping someday? Don't be a fool, Ellie. I'm sorry. I just thought... No, I suppose you're right. I, it wouldn't do. Not yet. Lydia, sing with me. Well, you know I never sing. There wasn't any mail today. Wasn't there? No. I thought perhaps there'd be a letter from David. It's been such a long time since he's written us a letter, hasn't it? 
I hadn't noticed. Yes, he used to write every week on Tuesday, and then I'd get the letter on Thursday. But there wasn't one this week or last or the week before that. It's strange, isn't it? But perhaps he's been busy. Perhaps. He never used to be too busy to write. I, I can't understand it. Do you suppose there's some other reason? What are you trying to say, Ellie? Are you hinting that perhaps I'm keeping your mail from you? No, no. Well, you certainly seem to be. Why should I keep David's letters from you? But I didn't say that. I just said it's strange that David hasn't written, that's all. You wouldn't keep David's letters. I know that, Lydia. Uh, go, on, go on with your sewing. Yes, I want to finish this ribbon. Stop singing that. Stop it. But Lydia, it's a hymn. I've always sung it. I don't care. I said stop or learn something else. Oh, that's all you sing day and night, day and night. The same tune over and over and over again. Stop it. Lydia, Lydia, sometimes you frighten me the way that you look at me. You make me think that, that perhaps I'm not getting well, that perhaps I'm still crazy, but I'm not. I'm not still crazy, am I, Lydia? Sibling rivalry. Since the time of Cain and Abel, sibling rivalry has been the cause of some of history's greatest betrayals. In the case of Lydia and Ellie Haskell, identical twins whose only difference is personality, that sibling rivalry has reached a breaking point. And now, if one is to survive, the other must die. In a moment, we'll present Act Two of Cloak and Dagger on the Air's presentation of George Wells's 1946 radio play, The Sisters, starring Nancy Longo and Bethany Fernball. But first, this. We present, for your consideration, one Mary Sue Martin, a person of conscience and resolve whose every intake of breath is in sync with trending topics of the contemporary world. In fact, from the time she wakes up until the time she goes to bed, Mary Sue Martin is obsessed with the impact her actions and her habits are having on the world at large. In so doing, she has carved out a space for herself, one occupied by an increasing number of humans on this planet, that of the conscientious narcissist. I mean, it's not all about me, but it kind of is. A crowd always starts with a person of one, and I could be that one person. Oh, the question is, what if I, as that one person in the crowd, am making the wrong decisions and the crowd follows me? Who knows how my actions could affect not just this moment, but the entire fabric of time? I mean, why one wrong decision could give birth to, uh, I don't know, Hitler! Mary Sue's conscientious narcissism impacts such ordinary tasks as getting her morning coffee. Yes, I'll have a large coffee. Um, please make sure it's fair trade coffee, though, and I'll have milk in it. One biggie latte coming up. Oh, no, no. Well, milk comes from cows, and cows shouldn't be forced to produce milk, and getting milk in my coffee makes me complicit in the, their lifelong abuse. Uh, I'll have almond milk, please. Yeah, we got almond milk. Oh, no, no, no. Wait, wait. 
It takes over a gallon of water to grow an almond, and most of the almonds are grown in California, and California just got over its drought. And if I persist in drinking almond milk, it can increase demand for almonds, thus increasing California's water usage, thus sending them back into another endless drought. Um, soy milk, please. Yeah, switching to soy. Oh, no. Oh, no. Soy contains goitrogens that, that could depress the thyroid function, the phytates that prevent the absorption of life-enhancing minerals, and, and phytoestrogens, which block estrogen and neg negatively affect human tissues. Plus, it can cause cancer. Um... I'll just have warm water. But do you mind brewing it instead of microwaving it? I don't want to get radiation poisoning. Oh, this ain't a health class here, lady. Her conscientious narcissism even affects her at work. Oh, here I am, 24, college degree, decent job, flexible hours, and telecommute option, vacations whenever I want, good insurance, benefits, retirement. I can even take my dog with me to the office. But am I fulfilled? Is this really what I want to be doing for the rest of my life? Oh, did I get the right degree? Oh, maybe I should go back to school. All I want to do is make an impact on the world, and, and seriously, is, is paying my bills and being happy and saving a little for a rainy day really making the world a better place? Mozart wrote his first symphony at eight. M Mary Shelley published Frankenstein at 27. Well, Joan of Arc was winning wars at 17. Uh, Nellie Bly was writing exposés and changing how the world viewed mental health care at 23. Well, what have I done? binge-watch Gilmore Girls six times in a row? <laughs> 24, I'm such a failure. Mary Sue's conscientious narcissism also hovers over her when she's buying a car. Yes, I finally decided to do it. I finally decided to purchase my dream car, a 69 Chevy Impala. Right this way, miss. We got oh. oh, you know, maybe I shouldn't buy this car. I mean, it's a really nice car, and not everyone can afford nice cars, and oh, people might think I'm showing off. They may think I'm flaunting my privilege. You wouldn't happen to have a used station wagon lying around here, would you? Station wagon? I don't know. Oh, oh please make sure it's without air conditioning. I don't want to contribute to noise pollution or infectious respiratory diseases, not to mention chronic rhinitis, pharyngitis, throat irritation, and hoarseness. You don't have to use the AC if you don't want. Oh, but wait, oh... Even with a station wagon, oh, I'd still be admitting carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases, oh, thus contributing to one-fifth of the United States' total global warming population, well, not to mention trapping heat in the atmosphere and causing worldwide temperatures to rise, well, not to mention cancer. Uh, you wouldn't happen to have a plain, ordinary bicycle for sale, would you? We sell cars for crying out And then there's her phone. What are all these notifications... Oh no, North Korea is launching another missile. This one aimed at the United States' bigger button. Oh man, I didn't factor a nuclear war into my schedule today. I haven't even had time to finish building my bunker. Oh, what's this? 450,000 people in Puerto Rico are still without power? And all those poor refugees from Syria still don't have a place to go? African elephants may be extinct by 2020. They're rebooting Gold Girls with the Kardashians! Oh, and now the president is tweeting again! Oh, it's too much! Too, too much! I can't deal with it all! And oh. this is where I come in. Um, Mary Sue? Yes? Tissue? Oh, no thanks. 
I never used tissues. Uh, well, they contain sodium lauryl sulfate, which can lead to the irritation of the skin and eyes oh and organ toxicity, neurotoxicity, endocrine disruption, development and reproductive toxicity, and possible mutations, oh, and cancer. Uh, thanks. I'll just snot it up. <sighs> okay, then. Well, uh, look, I couldn't help but overhear your frustrations with, uh, well, everything? Um, the world, yourself, your career. Oh, yeah, I get it. You're a man, so you're here to mansplain oh, the world to me and oh. set me straight, right? Which, uh, which means I'm contributing to the patriarchal stereotype that I'm an overly emotional female who can't handle the pressure of living in the real world without men! No, no, no. Uh, no, I tell you what. Why don't we both just take... A deep breath. We can't do this. Do you know what the Don't air quality? Say it. Just breathe. Ah, yes. Okay. Okay. I'm breathing. I'm breathing. Now let the mansplaining commence. I, I just want to say it's obvious that you want to make a difference here. Oh, yeah, but it's also overwhelming. I mean, there's a demon around every corner, disaster every second, yeah, disease but... in every particle, and it all goes back to me. Somehow, everything I do seems like it ends up hurting someone or, or something in some way, even when it's getting coffee or buying a car. Maybe, but is that really the case, or is that what the noise tells you? The noise? Yeah, they and them and everybody. What are you saying? I'm saying, Mary Sue, you don't have to be perfect or be aware of every problem on the planet to make a difference. Awareness does not always lead to impact, especially when you're completely missing the big world right here in your own backyard that isn't made of hashtags and 140 characters. 280. Oh, Manly P. Hall, help us all. Longer tweets, just what we needed. <sighs> Listen, it, it just, it's a real world of problems that has very little to do with the social media squabbles of the second or the, or the hells of bopping headlines of the hour. And yet, in some way, it has everything to do with them. So you're saying that... Uh, Worry less. Volunteer more. Volunteer? Take care of your own backyard, and maybe then you'll impact all those other backyards you're worrying about now. Huh. Okay. Uh, and where exactly do I start? An excellent question, Mary Sue. You could start right here in Weirton. It just so happens there's a little place started by people just like you who cared about the world but realized that they could only begin to make a difference here in their own backyard and with the youngest among us, the children. And for 100 years, that's exactly what the Weirton Christian Center has been doing, serving God in our community by focusing on our children. What are they doing? I've never heard of them. See, see, see how the noise gets to you? They do quite a lot, actually, and without any fanfare, but they're still making an impact, which is where you come in, because they always need volunteers with that impact, whether it's working with the center's after-school program, providing dinner and snacks to children on a daily basis, working in the community garden, or driving one of the center's five vans that transports kids to and from these programs. And that's just scratching the surface of the many activities that the center is doing within Weirton. In fact, there's always something that needs to be done at the Weirton Christian Center. And if you don't have the time to volunteer, there are plenty of other ways to support them, either financially or by donating supplies. And 
you could even contribute to the new building that they are building on Ivy Street so that all their kids can be safe under one roof. And best of all, you can accomplish all this right here and right now. And who knows? Who knows what kind of impact you could have down the road? I see your point. Even if I'm mansplaining? Oh, you're good at it. Well, <laughs> thanks. It kind of comes naturally. Well, it helps that you're right. Yeah. Yeah. I think I need to take a walk in my own backyard for a change. Cut through the noise and, and see what needs to be done there. <sighs> and so... Mary Sue Martin, once a conscientious narcissist who tried to do something by worrying about everything, realized that there was more to life than the world at large. There was the world around her, not as loud, not as glamorous, not as exciting, but every bit as important. Our thanks to the Magnon for West Virginia campaign for sponsoring this ad for the Weirton Christian Center. If you're interested in getting involved with the Weirton Christian Center, please call 304-748-2353 or visit their website at weirtonchristiancenter.com. And now, Act Two of Cloak and Dagger on the Air's production of The Sisters, a tale of sibling rivalry and revenge by George Wells. Nancy Longo as Lydia, and Bethany Firmbaugh as Ellie. Yes? Evening. Are you Miss Lydia Haskell? Why, yes. Well, can I speak to you for a minute? I was here this afternoon, but there was no one home. What is it, please? Well, we had a call from Dome Brothers, the Undertakers. I'm from the police department. Oh, really? I, I, I don't see what the police could want from me. Come in if you wish. Thank you. Sit down. Thank you. Um, there's nothing we want, Miss Haskell, except it's sort of unusual for a woman to order a casket for herself. Unusual? Well, I've heard of many cases of that kind. People who are alone in the world. There's no one else to look after those things. Oh, yeah, sure, I know. Only, it's a little more unusual when you can name the date. The undertaker said you wanted the casket held for three weeks. Why three weeks? There must be some reason for it. Yes, there is. I'm going to die. I shall die in three weeks, or perhaps even before. Well, there's no doubt in my mind about it, and that's why I ordered the casket. Well, you may call it a premonition if you want. Maybe I could also call it suicide. That's why I'm here, Miss Haskell. I don't know whether you know it, but suicide is a crime in the eyes of the state. A crime for which there is no punishment. Not if it's successful, no. But there is prevention. I know I am going to die. I feel it. But I have no intention of taking my own life. Well, there's no need to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, Miss Haskell, this premonition, as you call it, have you any idea what, what brought it on? 
No. Have you been speaking to anyone? No fortune tellers or mediums or anything like that? <laughs> no. Well, what makes you so sure? How do you know you can trust this premonition? You're not an old woman. I'd say you were in pretty good health. You have a lot of good years ahead of you. I have a religion. Oh, not a church religion. Just one of my own. It preaches that people go on living until they've outgrown their usefulness. Then they die from one cause or another. And when that time comes, the desire to live is gone. And only desire keeps the body alive and breathing. I don't understand that. I'm sorry. Um, nothing. Uh, Miss Haskell, do you live alone here? Yes. No relations, no housekeepers? I live alone here. Well, it's a pretty large house for a person living alone. Yes. There are three floors and far too many rooms. It's on the outskirts of town and it's quiet and gives me the privacy that I've been looking for. Privacy which you are invading for the first time since I moved here five years ago. Uh, well, I'm sorry, Miss Haskell. I'm only doing my job. I was told to look you up and find out why you bought that casket. Then I think we may assume that your job is over. I, I guess so. But the office might ask me to drop back once in a while. Just to keep in touch, you know. I won't be at home. Why? You don't go out very much. I asked. The folks in town say they don't even see you more than once a week. Maybe. When you come... I won't be at home. Oh, all right. Sorry to bother you. Good night. Good night. Oh, Miss Haskell, how are you going to die? I don't know, nor do I consider it important, so why should you? Well, good night. Good night. After the police officer had gone, I stood there in the hall thinking, perhaps I'd made a mistake. Perhaps I shouldn't have gone to the morticians. Well, I had thought it would be so clever. But I hadn't thought that he might become suspicious and send a policeman, send someone snooping around asking questions trying to find out things. I was so upset thinking about it, I hadn't heard her come down the stairs. Lydia? Oh, Ellie, Ellie, what are you doing down here? What are you doing sitting on the steps in the dark? Lydia? Haven't I told you never to come down here at night? Lydia? What do you want? I heard that man who was here... Lydia, why did you buy a casket? Why are you going to die? You mustn't, Lydia, you mustn't die. I'd be alone if you died. And you know what would happen? They'd send me away like they did once before. The people in town would come and find me living here, and they'd send me away. Go to bed, Ellie. Go to sleep. How can I sleep? Lydia, you won't die. Promise me you won't. Oh, I promise you. Now please, go to bed. But... But why did you buy a casket? 
And the things you said to that man, it's, it's as if you wanted to die. Why, Lydia, why do you want to die? I don't want to die. No one does. Oh, no. You have such a lot to live for, haven't you, Ellie? Yes. I've been happy, Lydia. You've made me happy. And someday when I'm well again, I'll go back home and David will be waiting for me. You know he'll be there. You always told me he'd be waiting. And he'll see me and he'll see that I'm well again and he'll take me back. I'm not so old, am I? David won't see me as old. He told me that when I was well, no matter how long it took, he would still see me as a young girl. And that's why I've been happy, just waiting for the time that I can go back to David. Ellie, haven't you learned yet? Don't you know yet that you're mad? And that you'll always be mad? No. No, don't say that. I'm getting better, Lydia. You know I'm getting better. <laughs> oh, yes, of course. Putting bows in your hair and sewing ribbons all day long. Sneaking about the house at night. Spying on me. Singing the same hymn over and over and over until I think I'm going mad, too. Is that why you want to die, Lydia? To get away from me? I thought you loved me, Lydia. Why should I love you? Look what life has given me and tell me why. You've always spoiled everything for me, Ellie, even from the time we were children. Well, how could I spoil everything? We were just like the same child, Lydia. Twins. You were I and I was you. <gasps> yes, we looked the same. Yes, we were born the same day. Yes, and that's where it ended. Oh, you were the nice one. I used to hear them say so. You were even the prettiest, they said. And if they could see any difference between us, well, whatever you wanted, you had. You smiled so nice. You smiled so beautifully. And I never smiled. Oh, I was the sullen one, the dark cloud in the house. You made it so, Lydia, but we loved you anyway. When the doll was broken, they gave you mine. You tore your dancing dress, and you took mine. You gave it to me, Lydia. I remember you gave it to me. You gave it to me. I've always given things to you, Ellie. I gave you the best of everything we had. I've given you my whole life. I even gave you David. Lydia, were you in love with David? He came to our house. Was it you that he came to see? Lydia, I didn't know. <laughs> no, you never knew. No one did. I had to stand by and watch you take him from me. And when you had your first attack, I was glad. People said it was a shame, but I was glad. Lydia. Because I knew then that he could never have you. Oh, yes. You were going to go away to be cured, and he was going to wait for you. Ha. It won't matter. How long he waits, he'll never be cured, and he'll never have you. Never. You hate me. You've always hated me. I see that now. 
Even when you've been taking care of me. When we came to this town, you didn't bring me here so I'd be cured. You wanted to keep me this way, Matt. That's why you took me out of that place, because they might have made me well again. Go upstairs. You hate me. And now you're going to die and leave me without anyone. I told you, I'm not going to die. <laughs> oh, Ellie. Ellie, I'm sorry we've had the quarrel. I, I, I didn't mean to upset you. It's just that I'm upset myself. And I'm, I'm tired. I, 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 I didn't mean the things I said. You bought a casket. Oh, it was only an idea I had in case anything ever happened to me. You bought a casket. Oh, Lydia, was it for yourself or was it for me? Ellie. You wouldn't. You wouldn't, would you, Lydia? Oh, what are you talking about? Hold the lamp up. Hold it close to you. I want to see your face. Ellie, go up to bed. Yes, I can see it in your eyes. You lie. It's for me. You're going to kill me. You're going to murder me. Uh, don't be a fool, Ellie. It's how you want to get rid of me because you hate me. You... Oh. Now I see. I see you love David. You're going to kill me and they'll come. And they'll bury me and they'll think that it's you. Be quiet. That's why you bought a casket. They'll think that it's you who was dead because no one knows I'm living here. And then you'll go away. And you'll go back to David and you'll say that Lydia has died. And he'll think that you are me and that you're well again and he'll marry you. You'll have him because you'll be Ellie. You'll have David in my place. Ellie. <laughs> Ellie, stop it. Do you hear what I said? Be quiet. Be quiet. Be quiet. Go upstairs and go to bed. Lydia. Lydia, how can you be so wicked? Ellie? Ellie? Are you awake? Ellie, dear? Oh, you mustn't think any more about what we said tonight. Do you hear? Oh, it's not so, Ellie. It's just your imagination, dear. Well, you mustn't think about it. It could be bad for you. Are you asleep, Ellie? <laughs> She's not asleep. She's lying over there on the other side of the room, staring at me through the dark. She knows. It was the truth tonight. She is going to die. I'm going to kill her. That quarrel? I shouldn't have let her know. I lost my temper. Oh, stupid. Stupid. Now, now I must think clearly. Wow, that, now, that was my plan. How am I going to kill her? Hmm. Mustn't look like murder. They'll suspect things then. It must be suicide. But how? When? Hmm. 
It must be soon because now she knows. Get excited. Think clearly. How am I going to kill her? Oh, I wish it were over. I could go back then. Back then. Back to David. Oh, how quickly she saw through that. That I'd go back in her place. But he'll never suspect. I'll be Ellie to him. Ellie, cured and happy again, I'll learn to smile. But first, she must die. But how? Which way is best? Oh, the stairs. Of course, the stairwell. She gets dizzy when she looks down into the stairwell. Oh, yes, it would be so easy. In a day or two, that policeman will come back to the house. They'll find her, and they'll think it's me. Oh, of course, the stairwell. Three floors from the attic here. Three floors straight down. Oh, it's so easy when you think, really. The stairwell, of course. mustn't cry anymore. <laughs> Do you hear me? Oh, are you afraid of the dark? Now, I'll light the lamp for you, dear. There. That's better, isn't it? Oh, why, you're shivering. Are you cold? Come along. Put your wrapper on and we'll go down to the parlor and we'll light a cup of hot milk. No. Oh, Ellie, stop acting like this. Now, come, dear. Here's your wrapper. And put it around your shoulders. That's a girl. Now, get up now. I'll carry the lamp. Now, give me your hand, dear. Why, you're cold. Cold as ice. Now, be careful. Walk slowly. There we are. Now, hold on to the banister, dear. That's right. I'll hold the lamp up high so you can see better. I'm afraid of the stairwell. Oh, it's right there, dear. You see? I'm afraid. I'm afraid. Ellie, you must get over that fear. Look, Ellie, just look down. There's nothing to frighten you. Look down the stairwell, Ellie. No. I'm holding you, dear. Now just lean over and look down. You can see all the way. No, don't make me look down. Don't make me, no, no. You see, 
strange thing, dear. Yes, it was brought to my mind, of course, because this is the house, just here. This one? The next one we're coming to, yes. Uh, she was in to see us just a few days ago. Came in to order the casket. She saw a casket that she wanted, and she, she told me it was for herself. She must have had a premonition. Yes. Uh, I notified the police, of course. Why, she said she wanted me to hold the casket for three weeks. Then, just the day before yesterday, the police came back to the house here and found her lying at the bottom of the stairwell, dead. She's been, she's been dead about two days. Funny how she knew. The banister up on the attic floor broke away and she fell. Did she have any family? No. Lived alone, they tell me. We're going to bury her tomorrow. Haskell, her name was. Haskell. That's strange, living all by herself, here in a big three-story frame house. Yes, isn't it? Huh? What is it? My imagination, I guess. I could have sworn I saw a light in the attic window just now. Oh, well, it couldn't have been. The police have shut it up. Of course. That story of yours really gave me the creeps, dear. Come on, let's walk on. What a strange thing the power of suggestion is. You've conveyed it to me. Well, you know, just, just now, I thought I could hear someone upstairs in there. A woman. A woman singing. A woman? Yes, a sort of crooning to herself. Some kind of a hymn. So closes Cloak and Dagger on the Air's presentation of The Sisters, starring Nancy Longo as Lydia Haskell, Bethany Fernbaugh as Ellie Haskell, Rob DeSantis as Mr. Dome, the mortician, and Chris Carter as the police officer. Please give a special round of applause to our community guest star this evening, Diane Magnone. <laughs> and the splendid work she did as Mrs. Dome. The Sisters was written by George Wells and adapted for Cloak and Dagger on the Air by Pete Fernball. Shane Meredith and Carissa Martin handle our sound, and Lakin Weaver provided the score. Our thanks to the Corporate Cleaning Group for its sponsorship of tonight's production, and to the Magnone for West Virginia campaign for sponsoring the Weirton Christian Center ad. 
Dave Zineski can be heard two times a week on Midnight Scario, a podcast devoted to seeing reality through the third eye. Midnight Scario can be found on iTunes and Stitcher. Carissa Martin will next be seen in Towngate Theater's production of The Arkansas Bear, which runs February 2nd through 4th and 9th through 10th. More information can be found at oionline.com. Next month, join us on Saturday, February 10th at 7 p.m. as we present Cloak and Dagger on the air and two winter tales well calculated to thrill and chill you to the bone. Until then, we remain your obedient servants. Good evening.